0: sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour you'll find them at the back of the range and here's your host ben Adelberg. and welcome to the back of the range i am your host ben Adelberg. this is episode 318 Greetings from Birmingham, Alabama. I'm here for the SEC match play hosted by Jerry Pate. All 14 SEC teams are here, headlined by the defending tournament champions, Tennessee. Vanderbilt, Alabama, Georgia, they're here as well, looking to capture an SEC crown later this spring. And so will last year's SEC champions, the Florida Gators. This week, make sure you are following on Instagram. Check out SEC match Play. I'll be catching up with the players and the coaches and providing content throughout the week, and that's where you'll find just about everything. Make sure you're also following the Back of the Range on Instagram as well. Since this is a big week for SEC men's golf, it seemed like the perfect time to get my guest on this episode over to the Back of the Range for a long overdue chat. My guest on this episode is Dudley Hart, the associate head coach of the national champion Florida Gators. Dudley returned to his alma mater to give back and share some wisdom with the current crop of Gators. Dudley was a standout for the Gators himself. He was a four-time All-American, three-time first-team SEC, and part of the 1989 SEC championship team. He won twice on the PGA Tour and was one of the most consistent players in the 90s and the early 2000s. There are plenty of stories that I did not get out of Dudley. That will probably have to happen if I can get him back for another conversation, because we really left a lot on the table. But what we did cover is what he is seeing from today's college golfers, what specifically he thinks they need to work on to get to the next level. He came to the Gators as a volunteer assistant a few years ago, and last year he helped lead the Gators to the national championship, and he won the National Assistant Coach of the Year Award, and then was promoted to associate head coach. This episode has tons of valuable information in it. If you're a junior, parent of a junior, a coach, a college player, a mid it doesn't matter. If you're anyone looking to get more out of your game, listen to this episode, and more importantly, share it with someone that you think could benefit from it. Let's jump right in and get started. Dudley, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? I'm great,
1: Ben. How about you?
0: I'm good. Uh, thrilled to have you. I know I've been trying to figure out a time to get you That's it's kind of been a whirlwind after uh, winning the national championship last season at uh at greyhawk uh, i'd lo- i know the answer to this before i ask it but has anything slowed down at all or has it just gotten crazier uh
1: it's just kind of about the same um you know it's kind of funny because a lot of a lot of a lot of people are like oh have you had much time like not right after the ncaa championships they had much time to enjoy it had much time to enjoy it and i'm like Like, not really. I mean, we had a few days where we were home and then we got on the road recruiting and, um, you know, it's just kind of, I kind of laugh about it because that's kind of how my life as a pro golfer was. You know, I I didn't have a ton of success as a pro, but like, you know, I I told the story, I said, after I I won the the Honda one year, I kind of was, I was hitting it really well and I wasn't. I was, uh, I wasn't, my putting was hot and cold that week, but I was hitting it great. And um, I got on a heater on the back nine and snuck up and won the tournament. And we, you know, it was 20 minutes from my house. So we had a nice party, had some fun, whatever. And I remember waking up maybe a little groggy the next morning, but I remember waking up and I had to leave Tuesday morning to go to Bay Hill. I lived in Fort Lauderdale at the time. And and I was already already worried about like, why is my putting so streaky? And, you know, I, I had to go out you know, I went out and practiced in the afternoon to try to figure out what was going on with my putting. Cause I had to play it on their tournament three days later, I had to move on. So um, that's kind of how your life as a competitive golfer is. And, and uh, you don't tend to have as much time uh, to enjoy stuff. Cause you just kind of, you know, you enjoy it for a few days and then you, you got to kind of move on to the next, next challenge. And, it's pretty much what we've done. I mean, we, we still obviously, you know, have a lot of fond memories and it was an unbelievable experience. Best one of my competitive golf life, but um, you know, you know, you can't live in the past. We got to keep moving forward and trying to you know, get our guys better that are here now and, and, and get the next crew of uh, young studs to come to Florida.
0: Well, you just mentioned the Honda classic. So you won that, You, you know, you won twice in the PGA tour, you won the Honda in 2000. And you know, I'm a South Florida guy and, you know, you start mentioning the Honda Classic and, you know, I think you're you played on tour from what, like 1991-ish to 2008, yeah. something like that, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, you know, mid-90s golf on the on the tour and, you know, the Honda Classics kind of bounced around, but, uh, you know, most people just think of the Honda Classic as, you know, being played at PJ National and they think of it being, you know, you know, kind of, jack's southern tournament to, to complement, uh you know the memorial of at muirfield give me yeah. a, give me a couple stories from your times playing in the honda at all the different locations that it was at
1: really what what i what i can remember i'm kind of old now and i'm losing my brain a little bit but um you know we played at weston hills yeah for a while when and i actually lived in weston and fort lauderdale and um, i then we kind of moved we played the Eagle Trace a little bit. Actually, let me back up. We started Eagle Trace and then went to Weston and Eagle Trace at TPC. And then the, the tour guys didn't tend not to like that. I think Greg Norman was pretty famous about ragging about Eagle Trace because when the wind blew, it was like impossible. Guys were shooting a million, a lot of trouble and it uh, was pretty hard golf course at the time. And uh, they built Heron Bay, is which is where I won. Um, and they kind of built a more. I'm not even sure if Heron Bay's even open. No,
0: it doesn't exist. Doesn't even,
1: so, so how about that? I, I went a tournament and I put the golf course in the ground. I've closed it down. That, you know, what's <laughs> but,
0: actually funny is that this is the first time in the history of this podcast that, that I can, I can say that about myself as well. I won the city of West Palm beach. I won the city championship in, at West Palm beach golf course. And then a year or two later, they tear the damn thing down, and now it's known as the park. But wow, how, we're yeah. in—I mean, we're like the same guy.
1: If I, yeah, if I was a little more insecure, I would have a problem because I—I uh, I also won a tournament that you may remember. Most people won't remember, but it was called the Sarazen World Open. Okay. And it was a tournament that it was a co-sponsored tour event where if you had to win a national open to get into it, and you got like a two-year exemption. So U.S. Open, I got in because I won the Canadian Open. Right up in Atlanta and, um, I won the tournament, shook, shook his hand and they, they literally got rid of the tournament (laughs) the next (laughs) year. (laughs) It was like, I'm just putting golf courses and tournaments in the ground in my career. So it's a, if I wasn't, wasn't a little more confident person, maybe, maybe that would bother me, (laughs) but, uh, kind of
0: funny story wow so so anything that Dudley Hart, Hart wins they just need to just yeah that's yeah so of that. that's
1: NBA championship might be in jeopardy
0: no I think they're gonna have that this year <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the NCAA is gonna roll that one out one more yeah, time yeah. so um so yeah 90s PGA tour baggy shirts pleats just for days boisterous prints that was yeah. that was a fun time wasn't it
1: Oh yeah. And the big, the big baseball hats, like it's the, the new era cap is a yeah. Buffalo company where I'm from. And they used to, they used to make us uh, make us some sweet hats that we thought at the time, at least were, they're still nice hats, but when they don't fit your head properly, those big fifty nine fifty era hats, they look like billboards on your forehead. So I get a lot of crap when the guys find some old pictures of me uh, with those hats and the, and the pleated, uh, uh, the pleated wool pants that I used to make. I thought I was pretty hot. Cause they were, you know, at the time it was expensive, like 200, 200 to $300 pants, a wool. I'm playing, I'm wearing wool pants, dress pants on the golf course, thinking I'm looking pretty, pretty sweet, sweating my butt off. But, um, uh, but uh, we, it was a, it was a great time. Uh, obviously the, the game, the tour has changed a lot. It's grown, not only in popularity, and, but in money and attention and all that stuff. And uh, I got to live through the, the, a little bit of that, you know, the tail, last half of my career you know when when tiger came around and stuff started exploding so it was uh it was it was a lot of fun man i never thought about doing anything other than playing golf playing pro golf for a living and really lucky that i i had that opportunity to do it for that that long of of, a period of time
0: i i can't get the image of jeff maggard out of my head now you mentioned those big hats (laughs) i mean i can't that's that's just jeff maggard uh for days i just can't stop
1: i I like mags, but I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, how'd you get into the game? I know uh, I, I, we know about your professional career, and obviously, we'll talk a little bit about your incredible college career uh, at the University of Florida. But you know, kind of a rite of passage around here at the back of the range, everyone's got to start. Someone puts a club in, in everyone's hand. So, uh, yeah, who, who, who put a club in your hand?
1: Uh, be my father, Chuck. Uh, my dad was a uh, club pro player. am sorry, a club pro at. Uh, um, in Buffalo, New York at a place called Wanaka country club up there. And, uh, those are pretty much my first memories of golf. I was just a little kid. We moved down to, uh, actually Miami beach where my dad got a, a job at a club called Lagorce country club, yeah. Ooh, a nice club. Yep. So I went from Buffalo, New York to Miami beach and in Buffalo, I didn't really play a lot. I mean, I played in the summers, you know, when the weather permitted, which is like three months a year up there. But, uh, I was way more into hockey. I played hockey, you know, pretty much eight months a year, and uh, that was kind of my game. And and back then, didn't play any hockey in South Florida, so hockey hockey was done, um, which probably was a good move on, on my part. Uh, my dad, my dad claims uh, after the fact, he claimed that the reason he took the job at Lagorce was because he saw that I had uh, some potential to be, you know, a good golfer, so he wanted to get me in a better climate. Um, but that was after I made the tour and was having a little bit of success and and i kind of chirped back at him i said well making like three times as much money and living on miami beach instead of buffalo might have been factors too yeah
0: yeah that's just details <laughs> though it does i mean yeah, just...
1: details. so yeah so anyway i i pretty much learned everything i know uh yeah, at least early on um from my dad he was a great club pro player played in uh, u.s opens and pgas and uh super competitive guy with a crazy good short game and and uh you know, he, I, I was really lucky because I, I we grew up, you know, when we moved to Miami Beach, I lived on the 10th hole of LaGorse. So I'd come home from school. We had a golf cart that never left our backyard unless I was in it. And I just got in the golf cart, changed in the golf clothes, got in the cart and, and just lived on the course 24 seven. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of other kids to play with, but actually Briny Baird, sure. uh, his dad, Bush, a the member there and so Brian and I played a lot together as kids, uh, but I'm four years older than him and he wasn't really as much in the golf, uh, until, it, you know, until about when I started going to, uh, to college, but, uh, but, uh, he and I were pretty good friends, but, you know, I ended up playing with, you know, back then, it's just didn't have as many kids to, to play golf with almost anywhere. It was just kind of, they were spread out. What, you know, what few good players there were, were spread out all over the place. And, and, uh, So I played with a lot of adults and members and stuff like that. And, and, um, it was just a, just a super lucky way to grow up really, really fortunate.
0: And I guess it kind of, I mean, at some point, yeah, you can play junior golf and and that's great and and play against kids your age, but also, I mean, you know, you're playing against adults. They're, they're teaching you, you know, the, how to, you know, how to get the ball in the hole quickly and uh, perhaps, you know, Maybe you know feel a little bit of pressure playing for a couple bucks here and there. Yeah, I mean that has. Sure. I mean that pays dividends uh, as you get older. You're not probably not thinking about it at the time.
1: No, but uh, yeah, playing for you know my dad was you know we weren't degenerate gamblers, but you know like it or not, gambling and golf are you know are are kind of go hand in hand. Um, it doesn't have to be necessarily a lot of money. Um, our club down in Miami Beach, Lagorce, there was uh, was really really famous for some especially in those days, huge money games and uh, some really good stories that maybe aren't quite the right, uh, right place to tell them right now. But, um, but they, uh, um, so I played, I didn't play for a ton of money cause we didn't have, my dad was a club pro. We were doing sure. fine, but it wasn't like I was playing for hundred bucks, a, you know, a, a nine or something back in night, you know, 1984, um, which would be a ton of money now, but I, w- I would play with a couple of these big gambler guys all the time. Cause I was a good junior and they liked playing with, good players and uh so it was a great way they would chirp me a lot and and my dad was brutal about uh just the verbal abuse on the golf course and and because he, he he knew he could get in my head and and like i said he was a good player and i probably should have been beating him when i was 14 15 16 but i don't think i beat him until i was 17 or 18 and and it was only because he knew he could start talking to me and 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 it would start bothering me and i'd get pissed and and next thing you know you know i'd make a mistake and do something wrong so i mean it was i hated it at the time and i didn't understand why he was such a jerk i felt like he was being a jerk right um but he was he was preparing me to to to, to just kind of learn not to let things bother you as much and not especially let other people bother you and uh it was, um, you know, looking back on it now, I was lucky. I lucky not only that I had his his, you know, expertise and his teaching from a mechanical standpoint, but just more the competitive stuff how to how to fight and work and and battle and because I just I don't ever think I was really one of the most talented guys on tour, um, but I was I was I was I was pretty competitive. I worked my butt off and and uh, I tried to I tried to get the most out of what whatever ability I might have had.
0: I, uh, I did some research on the internet and the internet's always right there's never any falsehoods there and I mean there's this terrible rumor though out there that that says that back in the day you used to have some sort of a, a temper and I don't see that you're just such a mild-mannered guy and they're calling you like a volcano or something but I, I don't I don't, yeah. I don't see that I mean you, you let's it's a bunch of BS. You can't believe everything. you're. Reading. I don't, I want you to, I want you to set the record straight. I mean, I'm sure that you were just a very calm, uh, more like, I mean, kind of like a, a, I mean, like, were you just like the Buddha and the, the, you know, the, the person on the PGA tour that did a lot of, you know, medic, you know, meditation and just, you were a calming presence, weren't you?
1: Yeah, not, not really. Oh, uh, not okay. really. I, I was a, um, I was, uh, in, 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 to be honest with you, I think this is kind of part of, what helps me be a little bit maybe of a better coach sometimes and be able to get a point across with our guys is because um, I, you know, looking back at 55, I wasn't always bad, but I was really, really hard on myself and really, uh, you know, I was a perfectionist and a lot of people are perfectionists and they don't necessarily beat themselves up like I did. Um, I just had, a lot of the times I really had a hard time accepting uh, that I was a human being and I was just going to hit bad shots. It didn't matter if I hit balls for, Six or eight hours every day. I'm still probably going to hit a shot. I'm mean, hit a bad shot. I'm going to misjudge the wind. I'm going to not think it's, the ball's going to fly, and it does fly. And I hit one on the over the back of the green. You know, you're going to you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to you're going to hit the ball in positions that you just don't want to hit it sometimes. And and I had a hard time dealing with that from time to time. And 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 I look back on it, and I tell our guys now, when I'm trying to help them. You know, because, you know, guys that are good at golf and are playing division one golf, most of them are pretty damn competitive. Yeah. You don't get to the point if you don't have that. Now, they don't all necessarily have the temper that that I may have had. But um, I look back out at my age and, and there is without a doubt the times that I the good years that I had and my wins. Um, and when I finished in the top 30 a couple of times, like the, I, I was literally my sole focus was was it this a corny thing that Bob Rotella taught me my rookie year on tour, but, and it was just something I grabbed from him when I spent a weekend at his house early in my rookie year. And he said, just be your own best friend. And when I kind of went to the golf course and I worried about that and my routines and my commitment level to each individual shot, not what the result was, that's when I played well and it had nothing to do with where my mechanics were. um, Because when my mind was right and I was, patient with myself and accepting that if I control what I can control and just accept the uh, accept the bad stuff is just being a human being um, I played well I mean I almost won the Buick Open one year and I slept about three four hours a night because I didn't know where the driver or anything over about a six iron was going Wow! but I I was in the right frame of mind I didn't try to do I didn't try to do anything I didn't feel like it was capable of. I basically teed every driver down low and hit a punch cut just to keep it in play. I was putting and chipping amazing, but my head was in the right spot and it got me into because of my short game was so, so on that week. It put me in I finished third or something, but I mean, I, I was, you know, had I not been in that frame of mind, I would miss a cut a hundred. I mean, miss a cut probably by four or five. And it's just, it's just literally for our guys and most college kids, you know, in my opinion, um, I've only been around it, doing it for you know every day for a couple of years now, but uh, it's it's the ability to to focus in on your routine and your commitment level and being able to uh, judge the success of each shot by controlling those factors, not by what the shot actually does. It's an incredibly hard thing to do. It was really hard for me to do, but it's literally probably, in my opinion, one of the most important things a kid can do to to. Uh, you know, achieve his potential.
0: It, it's a great point. and And also just to add on top of that, again, these guys are so good and the ladies are on the, on the other side, they're, they're so good yep. and they hit shots that are so incredible, but they also, I think the majority of them lack the maturity to have that self-awareness that you're talking about. Yes. And, you know, okay. I, I hit it, you know, just yesterday I carried it two thirty. 30, or two eighty or what I just hit this incredible shot yesterday. I gotta be able to do that all the time. And you can't.
1: Yeah, you're just not gonna do it. Yeah. And and it's and a little bit of it too is it, it's you know, I kind of try to describe, you know, golf is like gambling in Vegas. Okay. And and if I have a hundred and thirty yard shot from the middle of the fairway to a pin that's pretty pretty tame, well my my probability of succeeding on that shot is probably you know eighty whatever I'm just throwing numbers out there right but now you put me at 230 with a hybrid in my hand and it's over water and the pins on the right edge and the water cuts around to the right now you know my my chances of success Vegas is right now Vegas is gonna give me about one (laughs) percent because I stink anymore but but uh even back in my playing days you got to recognize that um you know when when to go and when not to go and those things change literally on a day-to-day basis, um, because obviously the wind changes, you know, from day to day. Sometimes, um, you know, the way you feel can change day to day. And and the, having the ability to to be able to look at yourself honestly and not let your ego get in the way, which was a big part of my issue early on, because you know sometimes we all we think we we all think we're pretty good, right? Yeah. And um, we all think we can pull off every shot, which you can. It's just how often are you going to do it. And then some days you just like some, I'm a, I was almost always a fader. And some days I wake up and I'm warming up. I'm hitting a five yard draw. I don't know why the Hell, I'm hitting a five yard draw, but if I go out there trying to play a fade all day long, I'm going to have a rough day. Yeah. And some, day, some days you just got to go with what you got. And um, you got to, you got to have enough self-awareness to understand that and to adjust. And, and literally that can go, that can change throughout a round I mean you, you you played enough high level golf you know that sometimes all of a sudden you start loosening up and the ball starts you feel like you can do something different or it goes the other way and um, um, you know you just you just have to have en- enough enough self-awareness from a physical and mental standpoint to, to not let your ego get in the way and, and, and cost you shots because these like you said all these guys and girls are so good that they they typically make you know three to six seven birdies around. And a lot of times they're shooting par one oh one under one over. And you know, I'm just like, listen, if you're making four, five, six birdies and you're shooting one or two under, how are we gonna how are we gonna get to shooting three, four, five under more often? Well it's yeah. not you're not gonna eight, nine birdies around very often, right? We gotta make more less bogeys, less mistakes. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of that in my opinion goes to decision making, you know, decision making and and uh, and having less weaknesses in your game. You know, the less, the less holes you have in your game from a physical mental standpoint, when one of those little things go off, you know, go haywire, which pretty much do every day, something won't feel quite right. You're going to, you're just going to have less of an opportunity to get exposed and you have better opportunity to still put up a good score when a piece of your game might feel a little weird.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. And I, I also was thinking about the fact that looking, you know, everything is so stats driven now. Um, maybe another way for you to look at stats and say hey you're only 30% from this shot and you actually pulled it off this time that's great but yeah. the next time when you know you don't pull it off you know oh, I missed that green on 8 from from you know 190 go back and look at the stats and say well you typically only make that shot or you you know pull that off 30% of the time. so why are you getting so upset when it's yeah. just, it's just you're batting 300 in baseball that's great so yeah you know, you're a hall of famer right so so why <laughs> yeah you know, so maybe not get so upset when you don't pull off that that cut from 190 over over water
1: yeah exactly
0: so your college career uh you know three-time um, you know first team all sec i think you're one of just a handful of guys at the university of florida that were four-time all-american uh great yeah. freshman year in 87 um I-, I gotta ask you're around these guys now as a, as the uh a coach at uh, at florida you know this yeah. is uh um you know i know that the uf is a nike school you know these kids and truthfully all d1 teams they are absolutely spoiled with the amount of gear that they get um yeah so (laughs) you already know where i'm going with this what um what did a young freshman dudley hart get from his coach uh buddy alexander was your coach if i remember right yeah
1: buddy actually buddy recruited me when he was at lsu okay and um uh, Lynn Blevins was a coach at Florida when I started. Lynn, right. He got, him got fired about halfway through my sophomore year, and that's when Buddy came in.
0: So what kind of gear did Dudley Hart get compared to the gear that these guys get now? <laughs> it's,
1: uh, most most people listening to this, unless they're over 40, there's no chance they've ever heard of Sansa Belt. But Sansa Belt,
0: Oh, Sanzibelt reference. This is getting better, yeah, man.
1: They were, they, were, they were in it. It was styling. I got to be honest. Back then, we thought we looked like we, looked, thought we looked pretty sharp. Um, sans belt, shorts and pants. I want to say we got probably three or four pairs of shorts and probably two or three pairs of pants and maybe a half a dozen shirts, a couple sweaters. No, I don't remember getting gym gear. We maybe we did, but you know, back then, you know, we really didn't work out a lot. We did, you know, in the off season, we'd go run the stadium and we do leg and core stuff, but. I used to think kind of golf back then with, or I'm sorry, working out was kind of bad for golf. And, and so we didn't really do much of that. Um, we would get, uh, I was lucky because I didn't really have to worry about golf shoes and, you know, cause my dad was a club pro. So I got all the equipment and stuff, but he right. uh, definitely didn't get the equipment. Like most guys on the team, almost all of them had to buy, buy their own equipment. Um, we get golf balls, but you get like a dozen a month. Um, you know, I could just go home and, take about four or five dozen from my dad's shop and it was fine. But but so I I was lucky in that regard. But we definitely didn't get, you know, we didn't but we didn't know any different. I mean we thought it was pretty cool getting the stuff we we received. We're getting stuff with the Gator logo on it and we were pumped. Yeah. Uh nowadays it's just it's like Christmas, you know, in August when these guys show up here and the stuff they get. And you know what? I don't have a problem with it. I love it. I mean I think uh I think it's great too. They're wearing the stuff all over the place and we're lucky enough to be able to give them you know give them all the stuff and to be honest with you at this stage i'm probably worse with the gear than the guys are because i i i order custom stuff that that we can't really wear at tournaments and stuff like that to get to the guy like my buddies at new era uh you know after we won nationals the chris cook who who owns new era cap literally texted me congrats and said those hats that NCA gave you were crap and he's he sent us custom custom hats and and so my, we can't really wear it in public because it doesn't have a nike swoosh on it but right. it, it's pretty cool guys are guys like liked all the gear around town and stuff like that so i'm probably nowadays worse than the guys with all that
0: stuff nothing more dangerous than the associate head coach with the access to the expense account i mean just yeah you know. yeah
1: this, yeah buddy but or buddy shoot sorry jc jc said uh, he had never gone over budget and I'm two for two. <laughs> We've <laughs> gone over <budget>. am <laughs> so At least good at something.
0: How? Now, well, I mean, the, the what you're bringing to this team is invaluable. We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, but you mentioned JC Deacon, head coach. Uh, you guys actually both are winners of the Florida Open. Um, yeah. You dug deep on the on the investigating. You have no idea what's coming next, because I got a <laughs> I got a good one coming next. But but you know uh, you know former tour player coming in. I mean, you started at Florida as a volunteer assistant coach, uh, yep. and then you know uh, assistant for the last two years. Now change in title, uh, promotion to associate head coach, and I think they just basically you know funneled more money to you so they can kind of you can spend more money on gear. I think I just figured out what they're doing with that. Yeah, you uh, might you might be. <laughs> Who? Uh, so, so, how did this whole thing start? Did you approach uh, uh, Coach Deacon? Did he approach you? What was kind of the genesis of of you joining the program?
1: Well, I reached out to JC not long after he got the job. Um, you know, obviously, I, like you said, I went to school here. I bleed origin blue. I love this place, and and um, you know, I I look back. I, I owe a lot to this school because it gave me four years. You know, uh, gave me four years to kind of grow as a young man, um, to grow as a golfer, to learn, uh, from a couple great coaches that I had here. And, uh, it gave me an opportunity to get to, to live out a lifelong dream and give myself and my family a great living. Um, and, uh, I was able to, to, you know, to make a nice, nice living for a long time, doing, playing a game. And I, I felt like I kinda, I owed the school a lot for that. Um, and I had the best four years of my life when I was here. Um, I just love this place. So I reached out to JC after he got the job. And I just basically said, man, anything I, you ever need for me, just call me. I'm happy to help. I was still playing. Um, and uh, um, but uh, he not too long after he asked me if I'd be a volunteer assistant. And I said, absolutely. I'd, uh, and, and I basically came in maybe two, three times a semester um, whenever I could and spent, you know, anyway anywhere from two to four days here with the guys, helping helping however they wanted. I kind of morphed into a, you know, just morphed into a wedge and a short game kind of coach um, because, to be honest with you, I just as a whole, kids just – I've not seen kids, you know, uh, that are coming to, to this level really have that much of an understanding on how to properly use their wedges in, in the variety of shots. I mean, and it's not – I'm not sh- – you know, kind of blasting on coaches or anything like that. Cause I come from a family of coaches. Uh, um, but uh, it's just, you know, kind of the nature of the beast. The kids will get a lesson from their coach. They want to see it on video or swing on video and they want to try this, that and whatever. And a lot of times, not all coaches, but a lot of times the, the short game is kind of an afterthought. Yeah. And that's, that's, fair. That, that's kind of really where the, where the, 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 the nowadays to me is like, kind of like the biggest, hard form of golf and it's like endless up you know options and different shots you have to play with all of your wedges whether it be from you know 130 and in and and uh um that's where they need the most growth and that's kind of what i saw when i was a volunteer assistant so i spent a lot of time doing that with guys because i know for a fact doing it for 30 years that if you can't if you're not a, a an elite wedge player you're only going so far in golf I don't care how good you hit it. I don't care how well you putt. Um, if you're not an elite wedge player, whether it be distance wedges, you know, from 60 to 130, or finesse stuff around the greens and have a variety of shots, you know, eventually, I mean, you're not going to, you know, I didn't come out of the womb knowing what I know now is what I tell the guys. It's a, a lifetime of learning from other coaches, other players, some of the best players in the world and learning different shots from this kind of grass, that kind of scenario. And, and, um, that's the stuff that I kind of, I love to do. Um, it's kind of the stuff that was the best part of my game when I was playing. And uh, um, it's what our guys kind of needed. So I, I basically did that for, I don't know, about six years or so. I think I was a volunteer assistant and, and just loved it. I loved coming up here, love being around the guys. Um, and cause they all love golf and all really good. And, they, and, I, and I saw some, uh, I saw a need and, and, a, and a way that I could help them. Uh, and, and obviously in an important part of the game. So anyway, I, I, I just love my time coming up as a volunteer assistant. And, um, you know, my time as a player near the end of my tour career, I had a, a couple of spinal fusion surgeries on my back. Um, I had two left thumb surgeries. The second one was ended up being a fusion on a knuckle because I had really bad arthritis. And, you know, if you're a right-handed golfer, your left thumb is – pretty important <laughs> and, and I was I was really struggling it was just getting to the point you know I like I said I did it for 30 plus years and it was just not it was just not that much fun anymore yeah because fighting through all these issues and I didn't feel like I could be competitive on the champions tour the way I wanted um and I'd been traveling so much for so long and and um I just was kind of falling out of love at doing it and uh and battling the injuries and JC called me, uh, you know, basically a couple of years ago and, and Mark Leon left to go to FAU yeah. and it, in August. And it was kind of a, a tough time and I was at home and I just, just had withdrawn from the senior players not too long, uh, before that and kind of just sitting there doing nothing and going just kind of, I'd already come to terms with like, this is probably, i have probably had enough. I said, I don't need to play golf anymore. I don't, I don't, uh, I'd want to, but I just, I don't want to do it the way I was doing it. So anyway, JC called me and said, man, I need you. Can you come up for, it could be two weeks. It could be all semester. Just, I need you to come up and help, uh, until I find somebody, you know, find a replacement for Mark. So I said, yeah, I got in the car that day and drove up here and, and, and spent, spent, uh, just moved into his little casita at his house. And, and he and his wife, Jess were awesome to kind of host me for, for a little bit there. And I was here for a couple of weeks and, he was getting ready to have somebody come in for an interview. And I just told him, I said, man, I said, I, I'm just not good with downtime. I don't. This is what I was thinking. I didn't say this to JC, but I don't, I like I said, I don't need to, I don't need to work. I'm very lucky, but um, I'm not good with sitting around doing nothing. And right. I love golf, I love this school. And I love being around these guys. And I walked in his office and I said, man, I said, I would shoot. I would be really mad at myself if I didn't tell you this. I'm not saying I deserve it, but I, I, I want, I want the job. And I approached him and he, in, in, I think he was taken back. He was like,
0: what? Yeah. And he's he, probably thinking, no, you just, you're getting ready to go to the Bahamas and and just be on vacation for the rest of your uh, yeah. life. And yeah. you don't want to deal with this shit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Pretty much. And, and, uh, he spent a few minutes trying to explain to me what it, what, what it entails and, and, uh, it's not all, you know, fun and games on the back of the range, uh, all the time and i said listen i i mean i there were parts of my tour life that things you had to do that you didn't really like you got to go to sponsor dinners you got to do you know you got to play in pro-ams and sometimes you don't want to do it And I, I mean it doesn't sound crazy but you know there's stuff in every job that you oh, have, yeah. to, just have to do that you don't necessarily like like you talking to me right now you probably don't want to stop it get out of here, get here. It. <laughs> stop it so anyway um i told him i said man i just i just i think i i think i can help um and i love this school and i want to i want to try to help you build this program uh to be as the best program we can make it and uh and uh, fortunately he hired me and and i I haven't regretted one second of it i mean there are definitely you know challenging moments and because you're dealing with college-age kids and they're growing up and you know they 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 push boundaries sometimes and yeah and that's what kids do and you just have to you just kind of have to teach you don't only teach golf you're trying to teach them to grow up to be good, uh, good, productive, young, young men. And, uh, that's probably more important than teaching them to be a good golfer in my mind. I don't want to sound corny, but the chance of guy our guys making the PJ tour, obviously statistically are pretty slim. We want them to have that dream and I'm going to give them everything I have. And JC's going to do the same to, to, uh, to, to, to give them the best opportunity to achieve their dreams, but chances are most of them aren't going to do it. How but do you to... how
0: do you have, not to cut you off, but but you just brought yeah. up a point that I just wanted to get into? Um, how how do you have the conversation with these guys where you're encouraging them to be the best players they can be? Obviously, you're at this point for for the University of Florida, but then i you know, moving on to the pro ranks. So how do you get the most out of them, but also be realistic and honest? I mean, I'm sure there are guys that are, you know, uh, this year's team or two years ago or whatever. I'm sure there are guys that you're kind of maybe thinking to yourself, this guy doesn't have a prayer, but how do you kind of keep encouraging them because you know, that's their dream. Um,
1: you know, mainly because I'm like, I've seen guys do it at different times of their lives. I mean, I, I know it's not, highly likely if you're not a, a a pretty high level college player that you're going to turn into a tour player but it it's happened and it can happen and i honestly feel like i'm going to be i, I don't want to i want to be the last guy that tells somebody you know to crash, crush someone's dreams
0: right but
1: I, at the same time my problem is or not problem but my my message is um is that when they're not doing it like a pro okay so that's kind of one of the things first things i talked to about our guys is i said listen everyone in this room wants to play the pga tour get it i love it you got to have a dream i said i've been around the best players in the world most of my life and and i've seen some pretty pretty rock solid patterns and how guys do things there are there are there are exceptions to you know every every kind of scenario but i said guys work either hard or really hard i don't care how talented you are there are a few guys it didn't work very hard. That were just uber talented. I said we call those we call those guys unicorns. Yeah. I said I I don't I'm not betting that any guy in our room is going to be a unicorn. We're going to work and we're going to work the right way and we're going to work smartly and we're going to we're going to try to get better on a, a daily basis, whether it's physical, mental. But where I my message gets rough with guys is, and, and it's not I, I to a certain point I try to take my emotion out of it because I'm like, listen, it's not my dream. I live my dream. You're you're telling me your dream is to play the PJ Tour, but you're not working like a pro. You're not treating this like this is all that matters to you. Because at some point, if you don't get to that point, highly unlikely you're going to play the PJ Tour. I mean, you're talking about trying to get to the top, whatever, 150, 200 golfers in the world, right? You want to play with those guys. It takes some pretty special commitment and talent. Um, And, you know... It's I kind of have the saying, and it applies to every part of every part of life. The world's full of people that want to do something great, but there are very few that are willing to do everything it takes to to make that happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, like this guy's, oh, I could have been a dog. You know, how I many people told me in my life that said, "Man, I could have played the tour. I was good. I just, I just wasn't dedicated enough." And I'm like, you know what? That's a slap in the face. I'm like. I'm like, to me, it used to piss me off a little bit. To be honest with you, I'm like, you can play well. That you just, you just embarrassed you, yourself. Because well, you're you just
0: said it. You're not. You, it's forget about being good. Of you, you just, you don't, you weren't willing to work hard. I was. Yeah. Like that's your. That's basically it.
1: Yeah, it's not just work. I mean, to be honest with you. Some of the hardest thing I had to change, and we already talked about my my temper and stuff like that. That was the hardest part for me. Is I had to have some really honest conversations with myself. When I'm brushing my teeth at night, looking in the mirror, laying in bed, staring at the ceiling after I shot 78 and go, what do I need to change to get better? And, and, and I think that's a big issue with a lot, not a lot, every kid, but a lot of kids. You know, they, they just sometimes you're a little delusional and you got to say, man, I either got to change what I'm doing with my golf swing. I got to change what I'm doing with my putting, my mindset, yeah. my practice habits, whatever it may be. You need to be able to have an open, honest conversation with yourself about where you are in your, in your, in your golfing life and what you need to do different. You need to, you know, you need to own up to what you do well too, but you also need to go, wait a minute, I'm just not good enough at this, this, and this, what am I going to
0: do to change it? Who is the, who is the guy on tour that you would see on the range that would just kind of put a jolt in your system saying, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe I'm not working as hard as this guy or. I need to kind of buckle down at, just, just by seeing him on the range. Well,
1: VJ Singh. Yeah. Nobody, I,
0: I, I knew that was going to be the answer.
1: Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I, 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 yeah, I don't like people saying I work harder than anybody, but there's, there, cause there's always somebody that's going to work harder. And it's not always about just the amount of time. Sure. Obviously it's how you use that time. VJ Singh was psychotic. <laughs> psychotic. I absolutely, I don't know how his body, I honestly don't know how his body is held up. I mean, I know he trains pretty hard and he works on his body you know a lot especially as an older guy now um he was uh he 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 was still pretty unbelievable he like langer langer's a joke he's langer's 104 now and he 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 still works practices he practices you know six six hours a day on the road he's out there on mondays and champions tour he's grinding on mondays when you don't start till friday you know it's just yeah i mean it's just there's that's it's not an accident man you guys are guys are talented but when you, when you add this, that old, old line that I love is that, that, uh, uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. And that's, that's God's honest truth. It's nice to be talented and work hard. It's a lot easier. Okay. It's a lot easier to be great that way. If you're not as talented and you work your butt especially in golf, it's not like, we're not talking basketball. I could, I could grind my butt off for eight hours a day trying to be good at basketball. It's just not going to happen. You know, I'm, I'm five, 10. I'm morbidly obese now, so I'm not gonna. I'm not feeling morbidly you know, it, obese. Uh, God, <laughs> gosh, stop it! So, uh, so it anyway. It, it's you know, but in golf, you know, you can you can grind it out. I mean, you can grind it out and work your butt off and get better. All right, even if you don't have all that natural God-given ability that some guys do, you can beat the crap out of other people if you're willing to get better at every facet of the game.
0: All right, I want to change t- change directions really quick. Let me ask you a random question. You played in five Masters, yep. uh, made the cut three times. T28 was your best finish in 2000. Um, this past April, uh, Augusta National announced that the NCAA Division I individual champion would receive an exemption into the Masters, and the first recipient of that exemption would have been uh, Fred Biondi. But yep. he turned pro. He's now on Corn Fairy Tour working his way to the PGA Tour. Um as I said, you've played in the in the Masters, you played in majors. You might have a different view of this uh, decision than perhaps um, you know fans of college golf. You know, some people are going to think, "Oh my God, how does this guy pass up the Masters?" Can you not just relate it to Fred's decision? I mean, it, it applies to him this first time, but there you know there could be another senior that wins it this year. Can you speak to how is that a difficult decision, or you know what are maybe the thought processes of a senior? that are going to face that decision moving forward.
1: Yeah. So, you know, this, I'll tell you exactly kind of how with JC and I sat down with, with Freddie and, and his agent right after NCA's to talk about his schedule. And, and, and he wanted my opinion, you know, being out there so long and I didn't make a decision for him. JC didn't make a decision for him. Uh, Fred's a big boy. He, he, we just tried to give him all the information uh, and, and our opinions, you know, Fred, Fred, fred was in a position to have full status for the rest of this year and next year um if he had to wait until april of next year to turn pro he's putting himself in a really really tough spot to try to get his PJ tour card now his ultimate goal is to play the PJ tour and play the masters 30 times right right Freddie's a super talented golfer um um i think he's going to play plenty of masters he didn't have the the best start to his corn fairy uh career um but uh he's good and he'll be fine um i just i just put it out in front of him i said man i said you know and he had an opportunity to play more PJ tour events and kind of kind of uh kind of cherry pick on each each tour and i thought that was a mistake i'm like unless you think you're going to catch lightning in a bottle in one or two tournaments and get your tour card i feel like playing both of them is a, is a big gamble yeah. um
0: because you're basically this- you're, you're getting less you, you can't devote all your time and effort and points to one you're kind of yeah because, well because
1: the point difference the point difference on the tour between finishing 20th on the tour and 20th at corn Ferry is not that much like you don't get a ton of extra points right so it wasn't like it was significant uh deal and and i just felt for his development i mean honestly if, if and and this isn't a shot i love Freddie. he's one of the, one of the best kids i've ever met in my life and he's obviously really good at golf um but like two years ago nobody knew who fred Biondi was
0: mm-hmm.
1: right okay my first fall in gainesville he didn't even play every tournament and he was playing crappy isleworth our last tournament the fall uh jc I give J.C. a lot of credit for this because he had a really, really hard, open conversation with Freddie about just his mindset and um, not playing afraid and things like that. And, and Freddie's short game was was very, very average if at best for college, and he was an elite ball striker. So Freddie, Freddie, Freddie saw light and started to change the way he thought more than mechanics, and then he worked on his short game a lot, and it got, it got pretty good. And, um, and then you saw what happened like the next year and a half, the kid was a stud. Yeah. So if you look at it that way, I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, you got a year and a half that you've been in the spotlight. You need the corn fairy. Like you need more reps. You need to learn how to be a pro. You need to learn, you know, it's, it's a big step going from college to golf. And I've talked to Freddie since. And, and he's just like, man, I mean, more usually in college, it, you know, I play a tournament. If I'd have something that's kind of off, we got a week or 10 days or two weeks to work on it. I'm going from one tournament to the next to the next yeah. and I have a few figure it all out. I said, yeah, it's different. You know, and I mean, you got to make your own flights, you got to make your own hotels, you got to do all that stuff. And it's instead of us doing everything. And, and uh, it's, it's an adjustment. So I honestly thought he, you know, he, I really felt that, you know, he needed to take that nat- natural slower progression for his long time development. And, and it was just, you know, you just get those reps on the corn ferry, get this the whole next full year, and just get better at golf, get, understand how to travel and, and adjust from one course to the next, all the things that go into being a pro um, and he'll be better in the long run for it.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. And it's funny. I mean, obviously your frame of reference is far more superior than mine, but you know, I'm I'm guessing I'm at just as many tournaments, co- you know, college tournaments a year than you are, maybe even more. Probably and, more. And the thing that I have, my takeaway is this, okay, look, they can all hit it 300 And they can all, you know, physically shoot the scores that they see on TV. But there's very few of them, in my opinion, that I look at and I say, I don't think they're actually ready to be professional golfers and do what you just mentioned, travel and go week to week. You know, think about any other line of work, business, marketing, sales, whatever. Nobody's worth a damn when they're right out of college. That's why they're called entry-level jobs. You yep. know, you're still learning how to pay your bills on time and, and you know, find a roommate and live in an apartment and pay your own electricity bills and do your own grocery shopping. Well, it's the same thing I see in professional golf. These, these kids, they're, they're, they're not adults yet, so you're, you really think they're going to figure out how to balance playing professional golf, and I guess it goes along with setting expectations and not getting so down on yourself. Like, you're not going to be great the first year. Yeah. I mean, some are I mean some, but, but I mean, but again, they're unicorns, you know, I mean, it's
1: it's really a hard thing to hard thing to do. I mean, and you gotta, you gotta believe you can do it. You know, you gotta believe you're good enough and it's not a talent thing to, uh, with most of these guys, obviously it's just more of a, you know, it's a life, big lifestyle change, you know, living your dream. All of a sudden you're playing golf with, you know, my first, my rookie year, man, I, that first month I was, I was, I went and teed it up warm up well, i'm sorry not even to warming up for a practice round tuesday in tucson and tom kite started came up behind me started warming up and then tom watson's sitting on the other side of me and i'm crapping my pants <laughs> tuesday, it's tuesday before the tournament yeah and i'm like it's it's a change and like and all of a sudden you're playing with guys that you've been watching on tv that you've idolized and looked up to and that's a that's a big part of it and, and you know kids nowadays are a little more equipped um, then we were because we just didn't get exposed. We didn't have a chance to play practice rounds or, you know, at home with God, we just didn't see tour players very often. You know, we didn't get a chance to play in a pro tournament as an amateur very often. Right. Um, it just wasn't as, wasn't as frequent. And, um, so we just didn't get to meet them. You know, you, you, you gotta get there and figure out, you know, these guys are just, they're guys like me that put the pants on the same way. They're just good at golf. Does you know? it look,
0: does it look easier now? I know it's kind of hard. You're 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 not going through it, but you're as close as anyone can be. Does it look easier now than when you started out on tour? Like uh, like like the the pathway. I mean, I don't mean like the the talent level or anything like that. I mean, I know there's there's a lot of opportunities now. There's Canada and there's Latin America and there's Corn Ferry and and you know sponsors exemptions and and you know gosh you know winners of college tournaments are getting PGA Tour exemptions. Yeah. But it also just it, – it seems like the ocean's gotten a little bit bigger for them. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, it's definitely fair. Like, well, my, my – right out of college, I made it to the finals at Q School and got my card. So, But that, that first year, when I got to the finals out in Palm Springs, it was the first year of the Hogan Tour. And yeah. I knew that if I didn't finish that, that friggin' last, I was going to have at least somewhere to play. Instead of in the past, you don't get your tour card at Q School – you're playing mini tours. You're playing the Hooters tour. You're playing all these kind of crappy things all over the place. Not a great way to, you know, to live. You're playing golf and you're a kid, but you're you're not, not making any money. Really. You're not, you're just trying to survive and try to get some reps and get better at golf. Um, There are more opportunities, um, but these kids aren't making any money. Um, They aren't, you know, if you're not playing really, really well on the, on the corn ferry or the, or the uh, Canadian or Latin, you're not making any money, man. I, I played, a, I played a corn ferry. Uh, I think it was a nationwide tournament. that was called then, but anyway, same thing in my, when I was 49, before I turned 50 just to get some reps before the champions tour right. and was in Raleigh. And I, I felt like I, you know, I hadn't played a tournament really for almost a year and I went out, I thought it plugged pretty good. I finished like 20th or 21st or 26, something like that playing decent against the young kids and and i literally looked at it afterwards and i'm like i lost like two or three hundred bucks on the trip i didn't stay at a ritz i didn't i stayed at a residence in. rent a car pay the caddy they have pretty much the same costs that you have playing the pga tour you're just playing for a lot less money and you know it was it kind of pissed it kind of pissed me off to be honest with you it wasn't for me because I'm like, I'm not doing this. Yeah, you know, you're, I'm, this I'm, is your. Tra- this is a
0: training tour. mode for you. I can,
1: I can afford it. But I'm like, how are these kids? It's not easy to get to this nationwide tour, or corn fairy tour. And if you finish in the top twenty, you tell me you can't make make a couple bucks. You know, I'm like, something has to change. Yeah. And it's gotten better, but it's still not great. Um, you know, a couple of my friends on the tour, you know that work for the tour, were like, well, we don't want these guys to get comfortable playing there. I'm like, no guy is going to get comfortable playing the corn ferry. they don't want to play the corn fairy or they want to play the pga tour um but they ought to be able to make a little bit more money off it so anyway i got a little sideways there but i don't think it's i don't don't think it's easier now i think it's harder okay because you got to pretty much got to spend a whole year playing the corn fairy um you know it's it was riskier maybe when i think it gets that's a better test because you can't fake it for a whole year um you we got some guys that went through the tour school that were just playing good at the right time they get their tour card and they don't make, you know, there were six, eight, 10 guys every year that hardly made a cut all year long. You know um, you get through the corn ferry. I, I don't know the stats cause I don't follow that, that close anymore, but I mean, you know, just the guys are a little more equipped for uh, pro golf than, than, you know, going through that Q school and they're a little bit better. You know, you just, you just can't slip through the cracks nowadays. Um, but then there's just so many more better players and these kids are the depth, the depth and everything nowadays is just ridiculous how good guys are. And, uh, you know, they're bigger, better athletes playing golf now than when I was their age. Um, the instruction the you know, the, all the, all the information they can get and the technology, it just kind of shortens. I'm not saying it makes it easier. You still got to work, but it shortens the learning curve. You know, I, I never saw my swing on video until I was 18 years old and I went to David Ledbetter. My dad took me up to get a lesson from, from somebody other than him just to, like a doctor getting a second opinion kind of thing and and uh that was the first time i ever saw my swing on video wow. so um yeah so it, it, it it's different i mean it's i think it's easier to get better i'm not saying it's easy it's easier to get better at a younger age nowadays um uh, because the instruction and the information is there if you put the time in you know we used to just kind of go try stuff for two weeks and see if it worked you know <laughs> yeah i know and grind and say ah that didn't work let's try something else so that part of it's you know that that's part of why i think there's so much more talent and so many good players and you know i go walking you know walking around watching junior golf and it's just so many good golf swings and good players and a lot of talent and there's a lot more that goes into it than a golf swing i get it but uh but um it's pretty pretty impressive, the amount of talent that's that's out there nowadays.
0: Let me ask you about the short game again. I, I've been yep. thinking about this for the last few minutes. You mentioned you're just – you're not – you know not to put words in your mouth, but overall you're not incredibly impressed with the quality of short games of the freshmen coming in or just the younger players. I mean, obviously there's exceptions, but is, is that a fair statement of, of kind of
1: – Yeah, I mean, it's, their short games aren't bad. They're, they're not, just
0: – They're just average.
1: Limited. They're, 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 they're not, you okay. know, they don't get to the level of having a bad short game, but you, but they're just, their knowledge and their, their, uh, their, the amount of tools in their toolbox is limited. Let's put it that
0: way. Why is that when it seems that every facility now has short, every place has short game facilities? And physically, it's the most, I mean, other than putting, It's not physically taxing. You can spend as much time out there as you want to. Um, You're not, you know, you're really not digging up the ground. Um, You're not, you know, no one has to, you know, I mean, you go shag the balls yourself. It's not, but but I'm just kind of running through all the the parameters here of why, why aren't they having more tools when they show up?
1: Um, You know, I think part of it is instruction. Part of it is, you know, when, when I was, um, when I was a kid, I didn't like doing it either to be honest with you, I'd hit balls for four hours at a clip. Like it was nothing loved it. And I'd go chip for five minutes. Cause I sucked at chipping. And then I, even as a good junior player, I mean, as for a good, I was just not great at it. And I was a mediocre putter. And to be honest with you, it wasn't half until about halfway through my freshman year of college. I realized that there are guys beating me that aren't nearly as good as me because they're better at that part of the game. Right. And I had to get better at that. Um, in junior golf, it didn't really expose me because I'm, you know, I'm, Beaten pretty much everybody that I see most of the time, and and I'm like, well, you know, when you're winning things, you don't think you have any holes in your game, right? Right. right. And, and most of these junior golfers, especially coming here, are, are having a ton of success, and they're like, well, why do I need to get better at that? I'm doing just fine. But when you get to the next level, that stuff starts getting exposed, and um, you just have to, you know, you just have to, you know, you just have to get better at it. You have to understand you know, how to change loft and change bounce and, and, you know, by changing your setup and, and the shaft position and address um, when to do it, you know, what kind of lies to do what. And, and it's literally that's the stuff where I was talking earlier where it's an art form. You have to, you have to experiment to a certain degree. You know, I try to help them show like this, this setup, this setup produces that, whatever. Um, what about this shot? Um, it's, but I mean, like it takes, years and years and years and years and you know of of going to different types of grasses different lengths yeah. different firmness of greens and and you know because little by little you're like ah, i got a really good short game and and then you go somewhere and play off Kakuya out and at, at riviera and you're like what the hell do i do out of this uh-huh. stuff you yeah. figure out how to what to, how to play out of that and uh so it's and i don't i don't mean to sound like i'm ragging on them because i was the same way when I was their age. Um, and I, sometimes they don't, they feel like if you can hit 14, 15 greens, they shoot on par all the time. What's the big deal. It becomes a big deal when you hit nine, 10, 12 greens. Yeah. Right. You know, what am I shooting Then, And you know, can you go out like, you know, not to, not to sound cocky, but I went out with the guys before, before, uh, nationals, we went over and played Tim Aquana in Jacksonville. It's an awesome, awesome golf course yep. over there. And they're great. They have us over a bunch and, and it's my kind of course for my, you know, 70, 100 yards, maybe, maybe not even from the tips. And so it's, I'm not going to get beat up from a length standpoint nowadays, but you know, I hit 12 greens and I made six birdies and one bogey and, and they were just bragging on me because I hit it crappy because I don't hit it that good anymore because I'm old and everything hurts. And, but I just have a pretty good short game and I just don't try to hit the ball where I, I don't try to do stuff that I'm not capable of doing anymore. And I know I can get it up and down if I don't put myself in the wrong spot a high percentage of the time. And I don't typically make a lot of bogeys because of it. And, uh, and, and that's kind of the stuff that they, our guys and most college guys, just it's just that, that age. The better yeah. they get at that will determine how good they ultimately get at golf. Well, to be able it, to recognize so- what they feel, where they can miss it and get it up and down. You know, um, it's not always the fat side of the green missing on the fat side of the green. Sometimes is a way harder shot, a way harder chip, a way harder putt, you know, it's, it's understanding that sometimes firing at a pin and short siding yourself is way easier than hitting it 30, 35 feet left of the pin and putting up over a ridge. Right.
0: Yeah. So, well, um, well, and you know, for, for juniors listening and, and especially parents of juniors listening, I hope you're paying attention to what Dudley just said because I guarantee you, or, or I'm pretty sure I'm right here. When you're out on the recruiting trail, you're probably kind of numb to seeing the ball travel 300 yards down the fairway. But if you see some kid getting up and down, then that sticks with you far more than than a 300 yard drive.
1: Absolutely, I get I get excited <laughs> at that. You know,
0: I watch, and sometimes I, you know, I like to see solid.
1: Oh, you know, of spring, course, yeah, swing mechanics. But I really like to watch them around the greens and see, and and it's it's not like you can't learn it. Like to me, it's the easiest part of the game to learn That's... if you're willing to devote the time. And it's the it's the part of the game that that varies the least from day to day because you're moving the club slower, right? I mean, you guys, these kids are swinging drivers 100 and you know 16 depending on the age to 125 miles an hour or more. You know, not if you ever hit on a track, man, you know that there you don't have to make much of a mistake when you swing it that fast from a path and a face standpoint to have the ball go 20 yards offline yeah doesn't have to be a big difference but to, to if you understand the basic techniques and 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 you work on your short game effectively that stuff doesn't vary that much day day to day some days you'll you'll get everything up and down and you'll just because maybe you're hitting it in the right spot or you're getting good lies and you know whatever um but that stuff doesn't just leave you like sometimes a driver can just leave you one day and you're hitting you can't hit a fairway doesn't mean you're hitting it off the planet but you hit four fairways in a round, and and you just don't you're not feeling it. Um, in my experience, typically, the the short game doesn't leave you like that.
0: Yeah, I I'm really glad we dove into that because I I do I do see that too out on the road. I see guys that and ladies that are you know super great rankings and and you know all Americans, and then I'll I'll see a couple shots around the green. I'm like I didn't. I didn't, I thought that would have been a little bit better or I, I don't see them chipping as much when they're practicing. Yeah. So, well, um, and
1: you know, everyone hits bad chips. You oh know, yeah. You, yeah.
0: I know. You hit
1: bad chips because you're a human being, but, but um, you know, I, I going back to the short game stuff, it just kind of made me think of something that it just, I think a big, big part of the issue, to be honest with you, and this is just an old guy, old has been here talking, but I think the 60 degree wedge has, um hurt yep junior's ability to learn how to use the loft properly on the wedge, if that makes sense. You can 100%. you can fake you can fake it a little bit easier with a sixty than you could a fifty when we only had fifty sixes. You had to learn how to hit how am I going to hit this soft out of a
0: bunker when I'm short sighted and it's a very one dimensional club.
1: Mechanics. You couldn't do it. Yeah. It's
0: a right? very very one dimensional club. And when they go to that yeah. all the time, um yeah, it, it limits the It's a
1: it's a it should be a last resort club in my mind. I like, I always tell them, I said, this is just how I do it. I'm not saying everyone has to do it this way, but I kind of start my evaluation. Obviously you always look at the lie when you're chipping, but I, I, I start at a 56 and then I move one way or the other. If I can't hit that shot with my 56 and any of my variational setups, um, and uh, mechanical tweaks that I have, then I go to a 60, but la- literally last resort, last wow. resort. We, and uh, I might move down to a pitching wedge and nine iron or eight iron, going the other way if I want a ball to release more, gap wedge, whatever. Right. You know, so I start at that fifty-six and I move one way or the other. I don't most pull that sixty out, and they just you know we'll do it we'll do it here. And I said, young guys, and I just you know when they first get here, not everybody, but you know I'll set up a little chipping course when we have practice, and nothing nothing earth shattering, and I just kind of watch them, and and they'll walk over there with one club. And it's their 60. And I'm like, okay, so we got some work to do, which is <laughs> fine. And, you know, they it takes some time. And Freddie was a little reluctant because he was, you know, Freddie, Fred Biondi, he's a, he's a kind of closed face, uh chipper. Here he was. He's not anymore. He kind of just mimicked his full swing. What made him a great ball striker, makes him a great ball striker, kind of hurt him in his wedge game because he was too closed, in my opinion, on the way back. And he just couldn't spin the ball enough. So he had to use his 60 because he's taking so much loft off to begin with. Um, and he's, it's not just the loft. It's just how the club generally is designed to go through the grass. And in my experience, the 56, the sole of the 56 that I've always, I've used forever just cuts through just is more reliable through different types of turf. Yeah. That may not be the case for everybody. It depends on the wedge they use, but, but in my, Pretty much everybody, if I can get them the buy-in to buy into just starting chipping more with their 56, especially off uncomfortable eyes, they they start noticing a different over difference over
0: time. I will tell you what, man, we're you, you know I know you said you're an old has been, but uh, you know for a guy that's won a couple times on PJ Tours had a pretty great career. You can come on and talk about this stuff anytime. I think I think this is valid what you're saying. This 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 holds up.
1: I might sound a little too too excited about it but I, I i'm pretty passionate about it and I, I love golf and i just i've learned a lot from a lot of really good people a lot of smart people and coaches and players over over my life and i just I like talking about it and i want to i want to help our guys get better and, and it's kind of you know it uh, this is gonna sound super corny but but it's kind of like this is this is like my life's i feel like it could be my life's greatest pleasure or work or whatever is trying to give back to some of some of these guys and try to help them uh help them get better at golf and maybe live, live out their dream like I did.
0: And you're doing it for your alma mater. So that's kind of a, I mean, what can be better than that? Yeah. Uh, Let me get you out of here Uh, on a couple more. We, we, we kind of forgot to talk about the fact that you just won a national championship and Oh, by the way, I mean, assistant national assistant coach there. No, you're associate head coach now, but, I mean, did you ever think in your wildest dreams that when you started, just kind of, I mean, basically you just need a place to hang out. That's how this whole thing started. Basically now you're the national assistant coach of the year. Yeah.
1: I'm a, a little embarrassed about that. I don't, uh, you know, I know we had a great year, great end of the year and, uh, you know, it's nothing like having great players, make coaches look smart, but, um, we, uh, um, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed about it because I, I haven't been doing it very long and, and I'm still not totally sure I know what the heck I'm doing. I feel pretty comfortable when I'm on a golf course with the guys and all that stuff, but uh, uh, I'm not so sure I'm great at what I do as a whole, but um, I know I'm having a blast and and uh, I'm real grateful for the, for the guys last year and, and, and the last two years, everybody that, uh, you know, since I came here, JC and I were trying to, trying to kind of change the, change the culture a little bit, change the work ethic, change the way we do things. And, and it was a little outside of the box for some guys that just weren't used to doing it and they bought into it. And, you know, it doesn't always work this way in life, but, uh, you know, you don't always get rewarded for working hard. And there were a lot of other teams that worked hard this this past year and, and didn't win. That's just how it goes sometimes. But, uh, you know, as an old guy, again, looking at, looking at our guys and for them to be able to to learn the value of having an open mind, um, you know, thinking outside the box and changing the way you do things in a more productive manner and putting everything you have into it mentally and physically to see those rewards that they got. I think that's something that's going to carry them for the rest of their lives. You know, and that might sound a little, a little weird, but like I said, I'm I'm old and I'm looking at it from a different, different light nowadays and and uh you know whether it's these guys playing the PJ tour or they're going to be successful insurance guys whatever it might be uh it's a it's a lesson that uh that should carry them to some really really successful s- successful things in their lives
0: you had uh six uh team victories last year including obviously the national championship uh six uh, individual titles were won um you know mentioned Bianchi and uh Yushin Lin who's I mean gosh that guy's already played in two masters as a uh, Asia Pacific uh amateur champion Ricky Castillo all-American went undefeated in the Walker Cup in 21 and uh some wet behind the ear freshman Ryan Hart won in Daytona Beach uh relation I think so so we'll get we'll get to him in a minute but <laughs> Here's a question for you. This team, obviously, and it seems like every Gators team has been just uber talented, but up until last year, gate that that core group of of Lynn, and Castillo never won an SEC championship, never won a national championship, and this was their last shot. You know, all three of them went on to finish top ten in PJ Tour U, so you knew they were they were off and running to the next phase of their lives. How did you and Coach Deacon kind of get them mentally prepared to embrace the fact that this was really the last shot to really kind of, I mean, fair to say, really make any sort of a mark as, as a, as a group, as uh, for, for the program.
1: Yeah. We, we talked about it a little bit early in the year and we had the team, we had the team without us in the room, uh, set some goals, put it on a, on a whiteboard and, and, uh, um, we didn't, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit early in the year, but we didn't, you know, I just don't think in my experience, it's great to constantly, uh, it's important to set goals, but it's it's not great to like before SECs go, man, this is the last chance to of win SEC. Not. yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, how's that going to help somebody play better? Right. Uh, but what what our kind of motto has been the last couple of years is, and, and this was just kind of the way I looked at, you know, where I learned, how I learned how to look at, life as a competitive golfer. And that's what these kids are right now. I mean, they're student athletes, but they're, it's essentially what they're, what they're preparing themselves for at least in their dreams. And, and uh, is, is it really boils down to this. And it, I feel like it takes a lot of heat off our guys. Um, it sure did me when I was playing. Um, we, you know, we really, we compete because we love it. We love to compete. Right. And, and we want to win tournaments, whether it's individual or, or team stuff. You compete because you love to get nervous and try to win, right? Um, but ultimately, if you look at the big picture, we compete. It's kind of it's just a way to evaluate where your game is mentally and physically. We're gonna go play, and we're gonna evaluate. We do our stats. We talk individually about our you know tournaments after the round with the guy, and and we and we evaluate what they were doing well and what they're not doing well. This is like literally as easy as I can put it. This right. is just my life in thirty years. I evaluate what I'm, you know, we evaluate what, what the guys are doing well, what they're struggling at. We have, we formulate a plan to maintain the things that they are doing well. So you got to keep working on those things and, and not lose sight of that. But also a plan that attacks fixing what their issues might be, whether it's mental or physical, right? And then we execute the plan, go out and compete again. And then we just rinse and repeat. And that's all we do. We stay as much in the present as we can, what's right in front of us, because what's two days, three days ahead doesn't really matter. Nothing you can do about it right now, yeah. And that's kind of the uh, a mindset I think maybe helped our guys just focus on right now. And like I touched on earlier, these guys, those guys, uh, they they spent pretty much the last couple of years, um, doing things in a consistent uh manner on a day-to-day basis and in my my experience that's how you get better at anything if you do the same things over and over and over and over again all right and don't deviate very often you always tweak some things and you're you know you're hitting a moving target with certain parts of your game right but you do those things over and over. I don't care what it is. Even if, you know, you're going to get better at it. It might not be the right thing, but you're going to figure out a way. These kids are good. They're going to figure out a way to create a pattern, right? And uh, I prefer it to be the right stuff, obviously, and that's what we aim for. But it, it's 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 playing. It's um, competing. It's practicing. It's routines. Um, it's practice routines. It's like, lit, lit, it's you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it but it's simply just giving them a blueprint of how to do things for them because everyone practices a little bit differently. Ricky Ricky didn't love to practice a lot. He, he would play 36 holes a day, and you know what? Chris DiMarco was like that when I was in school. Chris hated to practice, and Chris was pretty damn good. So, yeah. I mean, if you change something like that, because we're all wired differently, I was a practicer. Chris wasn't. Fred Biondi's a practicer. Ricky wasn't. Both great players, right? So you got to kind of try to adjust your plan to a certain degree um, to each guy, um, but you got to try to hold them accountable to it. And and a lot of it was just mental. Um, I can't say the word that we used at, at nationals this year, um, but it was like at the end of ever every meeting, you know, that night before we played every round. Um, my goal was just. Uh I just told him, I said, Man, I just all I want you guys to do tomorrow is don't hit one shot being afraid. I didn't necessarily use the word afraid, <laughs> but gotcha. I,
0: I, and
1: yeah. I can live with if we get smoked, I can live with it if we if we win. You know, obviously it's easier to live with it when you win, but um I can live with the result if we go out there and commit to our targets, play don't play afraid, play smart, play your game plans, um, and and just see where the chips fall. That's all you can do. You know, you control the controllables and 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 uh, accept the results. That's pretty much pretty much what it boils down to.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's well said. Well, we covered a lot of really great stuff. Um, man, I feel we can go on for hours, but we both got to get ready for the next tournament. We're both going to see each other at the SEC match play at uh, CC Birmingham, and that's going to be probably one of the biggest tests of the fall. That's a good barometer to let you know what you got and who uh, yeah who's going to be with yeah. you. And uh, nothing nothing better than match play, but. You did allude earlier in the episode that I had done a bit of research, and I've had just a little nugget left in my pocket, and we're going to close with this. I want to make sure I have this correctly. So you know all these kids right now, they want to get these big NIL deals so they can you know, have a cool logo on their shirt and say that they got an agent working on things for them. Now, I want to make sure I got this correct. You, sir, are uh, yeah, four, four children, but you are the father of, uh, of triplets and uh, one yep. of your triplets is actually on the team right now ryan who i mentioned uh, picked up a win last year at daytona beach true or false you saved money in the early years of your professional career because you had a deal as a pro that got you free baby formula true or false how in
1: god's name did you find that 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 is a true statement. Um,
0: Talk probably, now. A lot, a lot of guys want the big. They want you know. Freddie's got the Cadillac logo on his on his visor. <laughs> Similac. His Simil- Similac. Okay, so
1: Similac. Thank you, Similac. To this day,
0: tell me the story of how big stud PGA Tour pro Dudley Hart gets a baby <laughs> formula deal.
1: It was honestly, it was probably the best deal I have ever had in my life that my agent got me and it didn't, it didn't get me $1. I did not get $1 out of it, What yeah. I did get, so I'll try to make this story quick. My, uh, my triplets who are now 21, uh, were born super early. They were born 12 weeks early and they were very, they were small. So they were, you know, Ryan and Rachel were two pounds, five ounces. Abby was one fifteen and spent a bunch of time in the hospital. Um, they came home and anyway, they were on this pretty sure this isn't how it's called. That's what I call it. It's this high test, high calorie, uh, baby formula. sure. And, um,
0: they were on the you know, juice, I, they were on the juice,
1: they were on the juice, on the juice early. Cause they had to put on weight and they were about five pounds when they came home. So anyway, um, this, I wanted them to travel with me, you know, about six months in, they started traveling with me, but, uh, finding this formula was really hard. Um, and finding it on the road, stressed me out a little bit. So, um, I just liked having them with me. I, I felt like it was easier for me to play because I didn't miss them um, as much, you know, going on the road for three or four weeks and not seeing your kids is not a lot of fun. So, um, my wife was amazing, Suzanne, she just, she was all in and all about it and probably almost drove her to her grave. But anyway, I called my agent. I said, man, I, I, I got this formula is really, it's hard to find at home. I don't know how we're going to do it. When we start traveling, I said, can you do me a favor and maybe call them? I'll pay for it. I don't care. I just want to be able to ship it right to these golf courses, uh, you know, just with anything and he called me back a few days later and he said well here's the deal he said you got to give them tickets to like three tournaments It was like bay hill i can't remember doral give them like six or eight tickets to these tournaments you give them a list of tournaments where you're playing and they're going to ship all the formula all the bottles the nipples all the stuff you need literally when i (laughs) for every tournament you're going to I, I, I can't remember exact number because it's been so long that I that I but I, I think it was about 20 grand. if I had to go buy this ready made formula oh it was super expensive. back then you know you didn't have to buy ready made but it was obviously when you have triplets and you're feeding them every three four hours when they're little Yeah, you know you're eating them 24 7 almost so it's crazy and having the ready-made stuff was just like easy you just screw the top off put the put a nipple on it and shove it in their mouth you know so uh it was um it was literally probably just the most life-changing obviously there wasn't a financial aspect to it but the most life-changing uh endorsement deal my agent ever got me and 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 to this day similac if somebody from similac hears this thank you very much
0: (laughs) we're gonna seamlessly segue to the end uh coach it's been a a thrill uh it's been fun every time i see you you got a big smile on your face and uh i know you're thoroughly enjoying this uh this part of your golfing career i'll see you in a few days at uh, in birmingham for the sec match play and I'm glad we were fi- finally able to get this done for uh, for you to show up here at the Back of the Range. Yeah, me too, Ben. Had a, had a blast. Take care. We'll see, you. we'll see you in a few days. And there you have it. Special thanks to Dudley Hart for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode, everything you need to know about the Back of the Range can be found at the website, thebackoftherange.com. Make sure you're following SEC Match Play on Instagram, and I'll see you next week here at the back of the range.